Church, would you be seated as we prepare to receive communion together? You should find on the seat near you a little communion kit looks like this. And if you're unfamiliar, it's kind of a two-part thing. You, you peel back the top and there's the bread. And then you peel back the next lid there and there is the, the juice. And as we prepare to receive together, Jesus called his disciples together for a very specific reason on the night that he eventually went to the cross. He called them together and he washed their feet. And if you're like me, which most of us are, you know, your first reaction to that is the same as Peter's. <laughs> Lord, I should be washing your feet. Jesus said to Peter, I know. I know, but you got to let me do this for you personally. He said, Peter, if you don't let me do this for you, you have no part of me. This morning, the same Jesus who said he'd be here every time two or more of us gathered comes to wash your feet 
And he invites you in this moment to yield to that, to surrender to that, to put away your pride, so much like Peter's, to put it away and to let him wash you, wash your guilt, wash your shame, wash your sins. He seeks to do that right here and right now. Bible says on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's receive together. Lord, we thank you for choosing to go to the cross, for going there because of us because of your love for us, your desire for us. We worship you and we thank you this morning and we receive what you have done for us. The Bible says afterwards he lifted up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. What I do for you is forever. This is the new covenant in my blood. He said, take it and drink it in remembrance of me, let's receive together. Lord, we receive your finished work on the cross. God, we hand over to you not only our sins past and present, but those struggles that remain ahead of us. We hand them over to you. We surrender them to your victory. And we receive your grace together this morning. We do that in Jesus' name. Friends, would you stand as we continue in worship? So oh. 
sanctuary. We find sanctuary, Father, in your presence. And that's what happens when we worship you. We encounter your living presence. It's an opportunity for you to meet us face to face, God. You have a way of piercing the flesh, speaking directly to the heart in times of praise, in times of surrender, in times of worship. God, what an honor to worship you. And so, Father, we reflect on the goodness in our lives, in your word, in history, God. You've proven yourself time and time again. And we can stand here together, united as a church, and say, most worthy one, all the days of our lives, we choose to worship you. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet with you. This is your sons and daughters. This is your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Well, hey, welcome to church. And can we just praise God for air conditioning? Am I right? Well, hey, turn to your neighbor and ask them, how are you surviving the scorch this weekend? worshiping Jesus just like we did here except for we sing and dance and we like lose our breath and lose our energy so we're also very thankful for air conditioning yes <laughs> but I wanted to come this morning uh, and just thank you uh, for being a part of our church family I also wanted to plug kids ministry a little bit and um, you know I know Pastor Greg does a great job because can I tell you part of the reason I love my job is because he's so great about saying kids are one of the most, well, they are the most important thing happening on Sunday morning. And I agree with him, and I'm thankful for it. Uh, but I also love the opportunity to be able to share my heart with you. Uh, because, of course, the way I love my job really means there's a lot of people that are helping. <laughs> if it weren't for all of our helpers and our volunteers and our leaders that help, um, I would be able to do pretty much nothing. So um, I just want to share my heart with you. And if kids ministry is a place where you'd want to serve, uh, just to give you a small picture, on a Sunday morning, we only ask our volunteers to help out one service once a month. So if you do the math where there's three rooms, used to be four, but we've combined our toddlers and our nursery, and you've got, you know, at least 
30 volunteers on one Sunday, it adds up to about 130 per month that we need because we don't want to overwhelm. We don't want you to feel like this is a commitment where you have to be there every single week. And then, you know, so we get it. We understand. And that's what we ask for. There are some that serve a little bit more than that, which is great. Like Miss Rhonda, she teaches preschool, so she'll take on a, a few extra. Don't worry, I won't ask you to teach preschool right away, maybe later. <laughs> but uh, if that, and, you know, there's a lot of other ways too. We actually start a, a security team just to make sure that in the hallways things are going well. Uh, we have a breakfast team to help serve breakfast on Sunday morning. So there's lots of ways to get connected. And I just, I'd love to grow our team a little more. So that's why I'm here to share a little bit about that. Um, and with that comes some of our announcements that includes kids because we have a kids camp coming up really soon. And, uh, and also youth camp. They're at the same time. Our middle schoolers and our kids have a camp going on at the same time. So if you're not registered, uh, register your kids or your youth for camp because it's coming really quick in just a couple weeks. Uh, and if you wanted to come along, uh, kids would love to bring you. <laughs> Uh, we actually are just doing a two-day camp uh, because of restrictions and such. Uh, we're actually just going to Kent to do camp during the day, and then we're coming back here to stay the night. So I feel like that actually opens it up for kids who maybe feel a little apprehensive about going far away for summer camp. They might be able to join us for kids camp uh, two-day uh, this summer and see how it goes, and then maybe next summer they'll be on board, right? All that is really good. A couple other things that are coming up, just so you know, uh, July 8th, we're going to have a women's night of worship. Great time to come and gather here. All the ladies, just come. We're going to worship Jesus together, 6.30 p.m. on July 8th. And then one really big thing to tell you, you guys might have heard if you got the phone call or the text blast or anything like that, uh, we are going to be a cooling station here for this hot, hot weather that's happening. And uh, so we're planning to set up some tables and have some board games and have some fun. Uh, but with that, that means we're, we're postponing our business meeting that was supposed to be tonight. Uh, but come enjoy, play some games with us. If you don't have AC, uh, I got some board games and I'd love for you to come play <laughs> with me and my family. <laughs> Does that sound good? But one last thing before I pass it over to Pastor Greg, he's given the message. Someone's on me with this. No, that's for kids. Don't worry. He's preaching. He's waiting for me, uh, <laughs> critiquing now. But um, <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, he'll just jump in when I mess up. It's all good. <clears throat> But we do want you to be connected, and, and the way that you can get connected, there's a card right in front of you in that seat back. If you're new at MRCC, we just want you to be our friend and be with us. If you want to uh, get any contact with a pastor or anything, fill out that connect card, or you'll even notice there's a scan code on the back of the, on that card, on the chair. You can scan it and do it electronically, which, by the way, I love better because I can, I can read your texting. I can't always read your handwriting. So we have everything online. MRCCnow.org is our website. You can find just about, you can sign up for camp there. Uh, everything is there on that webpage direct you whatever uh, you need from there but welcome we're so glad you're here uh, and if you want to open your bibles pastor greg is going to bring the message uh, from malachi yes thanks allison can we appreciate allison and the kids team a little bit yeah they do a fantastic fantastic job and just to kind of piggyback on what she was talking about if it's a challenge for you financially to get your kids or your teenagers to camp, please contact us. Please let us know. We're a family. We take care of each other, and we want to make sure that your kids can make it to camp. So uh, don't hesitate. Don't let that keep you from involving your, either your, your elementary school kids in Heroes Camp or middle schoolers or high schools. By the way, uh, on a side note, last night, late last night, uh, after finishing a wedding, uh, Pastor Darius was called and asked to step in for a teenage camp happening this week in Spokane because they lost their speaker literally the night before camp was to start. So be in prayer for Pastor Darius. He said, absolutely, I'll serve Jesus. And he flew out of here last night and he's going to spend the week ministering to teenagers this week. And that's a beautiful thing. Also, uh, be in prayer as well for our youth pastor, Josh. I don't know if you heard, uh, but a couple of, well, it's been about 10 days ago, uh, Josh pretty seriously injured his back. And uh, for a young man, he's acting like an old man right now. <laughs> And uh, I'm giving him endless grief about it, but he's very slowly recovering from that. It was a pretty serious thing, involved a hospital ride, uh, ambulance ride, and the whole nine yards. So he's coming back from that. He is healing and mending, but uh, would appreciate your prayers. 
Uh, again, this afternoon, the sanctuary will be open. Uh, our, our city mayor called me up uh, yesterday morning, and he said, hey, would you guys be willing to serve? I said, absolutely. So um, the sanctuary will be open today and tomorrow. Uh, if you need a cooling station or if you know somebody who needs a cooling station, like Pastor Allison said, we're just going to set up some tables and chairs and, and be available uh, to our community. Um, so uh, pass the word on that. Grab your Bible, if you would. And turn to the prophet Malachi. Now, he's not hard to find. You can just go to Matthew and go back one book. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And, and here we are in our fourth week of the Magnificent Seven. Somebody, by the way, grabbed me before service and said, Pastor, I watched the Magnificent Seven movies just because of this. And I say again, that was not my intent in using this title. But he said, you know, the original's better. I said, amen. So you say, amen. That's your cue, all right. Because Yule Brenner is automatically cooler than anybody else we come up with in the meantime. But anyway, Malachi, uh, one of the minor prophets, one of those minor prophets that we're not familiar with. God wants to speak to us through Malachi this morning. And I came across a meme this week that reminded me that sometimes what we think we need isn't really what we need. I bumped into this this week. Take a, take a quick read there. If I could, yeah, 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 yeah. Me in 2021. No, that's not the problem, right? I thought that was very, very real. Human nature, our nature, is to think that having more time or more stuff or more freedom or more power uh, that if we had those things it would solve all our problems and we can believe that until we actually have the thing and then we discover that it's not as satisfying that it's not as much the answer as we thought it was this by the way is the reason why God when he led Israel into the wilderness provided for them one day at a time he provided the manna for them one day at a time people were not allowed to store it up you couldn't prepare for the future in that season you could only receive what you were given that day jesus enshrined that lesson in the lord's prayer when he says give us this day our daily bread because god knows that no amount of time stuff freedom and power is what we really need but something bigger something deeper you know, let me ask you, what have you been thinking lately that you need to be happy? And what if you're wrong? When my wife came back from her 10-day hike on the Wonderland Trail with a girlfriend a few years ago, she, when she got back that day, she said to me, there's only one thing that I really need to be happy. I have discovered the one thing necessary to human happiness. She said, it's toilet paper. <laughs> If I have toilet paper, I will be happy. She said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It's toilet paper is what it is. It's a blessing. But seriously, contentment doesn't come from having stuff. It comes from, from honoring God. Let me, let me say that again. Contentment doesn't come from having more stuff, whether it's time or freedom or material things. Contentment flows from honoring God, from choosing to respect and honor God in an ongoing way. That's going to be Malachi's message. It reminds me when I was little how my, my birth father in the first few years of my life, he would occasionally just drop in unannounced. He would appear out of nowhere and and usually when he did that, he would, he would drop off a toy of some kind, a little gas-powered car, a little, uh, you know, uh, model dragster. One time he dropped off a motocross t-shirt, and he, he would appear very briefly, and he would usually only be there for 20 minutes, a half hour, drop something off, and then he would leave. And I remember as a boy, as soon as he left, I would often cry or feel tearful, even though he had brought me something. And I understand now that the reason was that I didn't really want something. <laughs> I wanted someone. I wanted my dad to be there. In the same way, your soul craves more than something. 
It craves that connection with a Father God that brings contentment. And as Malachi is going to say, that connection comes when we choose to honor Him, when we choose to respect Him. Your soul doesn't just want stuff. You want to know that your Father is deeply involved in your life, that you matter to Him. You want someone to be thankful to. And that's what Malachi is going to talk to us about. My wife's email, her, she works for Green River College University, and her, her email has a little tagline on it that I love. I've shared it before. The tagline is, gratitude turns what you have into enough. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. I, I might amplify it to say, gratitude turns what you have into a personal blessing into a relationship with a living God. Friends, God wants you to live with the awareness that your life is a give and take with a Father God. We just sang that song, All My Life You Have Been Faithful. And now as Ron and I are closing in on 60, maybe some of you can relate, you look back and you go, wow, yes, a million times over, God. We remember at the beginning of our journey with, with Jesus saying, okay, you know, we're putting ourselves in your hands and and then to look back and find his faithfulness. That experience is what was on Malachi's heart when he prophesied to Israel. You see, the people in his day had lost touch with the sense of connection with a Father God that flows from honoring him. And as a result, they were suffering all sorts of sicknesses of the soul. You can tell when the same condition has afflicted you because you'll find that your life is filled with complaints and that you leave behind a trail of broken relationships and that you live with a persistent fear of what tomorrow will bring. Malachi comes to the people of God, to Israel, to diagnose this sickness and to show the way of healing from it. So let's listen to him. Malachi chapter 1. We're going to jump around a bit in his book, beginning with verse 6. Here's what the prophet said to the people of God. He said, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, then where is the honor due me? If I am a master, then where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, Israel had fallen into habits of disrespect towards God. All of our lives manifest one of two things, and that is a habit of honor for God or a habit of dishonor to God. Israel had fallen into that latter condition, and it was destroying their faith. Because church, as parents, we instinctively understand about our kids that when they learn to show honor and respect, it builds their self-esteem and their self-respect. God knows the same thing about us. Often in our teenage years, we struggle with this. There's never a time in our life, perhaps, when we need our parents more and think we need them less than in our teenage years. And it is the respect and honor in those years that creates the sense of intimacy that we desperately need. I remember going into the military and how it taught me the value of showing honor, respect, and submission. Before I went in, the thought of having to stand up whenever certain people of certain status entered the room would have been offensive to me. Afterwards, it became something I was proud of. Obedience, respect, showing honor, whether it's a salute or coming to attention or whatever, those things changed from being things I resented to being things I delighted in. And in the same way, God wants us to discover that when we honor Him, we find joy. We find identity. We find out who we are. Now, the people, because of their habits of disrespect, were blind to their own condition. Listen to their answer to God in the second half of verse 6 and into verse 7. The people said, how have we shown contempt for your name? How have we defiled you? In other words, they were completely out of touch with their own behavior. I was like that sometimes as a teenager. Very often, we experience that with our teenagers if we don't know what we're doing wrong, how can we make it right? We say, but what's really happened is that disrespect has blinded us to our disrespect. I remember when I was a new husband. <laughs> I, I feel stupid confessing this, but I've confessed it before, so I'll confess it again. When I was a new husband, I kind of thought to myself, Rhonda would say, ooh, you stink. 
you know, I came home from working out or I came home from, came in from working outside and I would think to myself, oh, she's really kind of turned on by it, you know, it's like a, a manly odor. She's sort of letting me know, you know, and I actually thought that for a while. And then eventually I realized, no, that's not the case at all. She was, what she was saying when she said, you stink was, you stink, you know what I mean? And so I started paying attention to that and addressing it. But Friends, we can fall into that same kind of trap in our relationship to God. We say, well, God, I don't feel like I'm dishonoring you. God says, you don't feel like that because you're not even aware that you are. God answers the people's uh, question in verse 7 and following. Here's what he says. They say, how have we shown you, uh, shown contempt for your name? How have we defiled you? God said, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? And when you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptually, that is the offering of the sacrifices, that's what is, shows contempt for my name. Now, let's understand that in, in God's law and in that time, you know, when you came to the temple to worship, you were called to bring the finest of your flock. And what you brought, a portion of it would be offered to the priest, but then the rest you would actually take home and eat. So this was, this was not a, a just giving something away. This was a, a thanking God for what he had provided. And so God said, when you do that, give your very best. Pick the choicest and the finest of animals. But in Malachi's day, people would go out to the flock and they'd say, oh, there's that blind one over there, the little runt in the corner, you know, the sickly one. Let's take and offer that one and keep the others for our own purposes. Or, or there's that diseased animal. Hey, that, that animal that got sick in the herd. Let's take that animal instead of the best. And God said, you're showing contempt for me in doing that. Let me ask us something. Can I ask this tenderly as your fellow human being? Does God get your best? Or does he get the leftovers? Does he get the best of your singing in worship? Uh, the best varies from person to person, you may have noticed over time. But when I was a youth pastor, I used to teach the kids, I'd say, hey, if you can't sing well, sing loud. Give God your best, you know, whatever you got. Does God get the best in your life? Now, notice in this passage, notice that God says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Now notice, in that scenario, who is cursed? It's not God. It's the person themselves. And when we read about curses in God's word, we must understand that there's a difference between what's called a prescriptive curse and a descriptive curse. A prescriptive curse is when God says, I'm going to do this because of what you've done. A descriptive curse is when God says, this is what you've done to yourself by what you've done. And in this passage, Malachi is applying a descriptive curse. He's saying you're suffering because of your lack of respect, because of showing contempt for your God. Dear friends, when you and I give God our second best, we are the ones who lose out. When we give him our best, we are ennobled and built up and filled with identity and security. I worked for a short time at Western State Hospital in and during that short couple of weeks that I was there, there, there was a riot. I mean, a full-on violent riot. And when it happened on the ward that I was on, which was very high security, there was just me and two older women. And so when this riot broke out, I was the only one who could defend not only myself, but them. And for that half hour, it was, it was on. And, you know, things were thrown and broken. It was hand-to-hand -hand combat. But I remember at the end of it, they were both safe and secure. Neither of them were harmed. And I remember feeling a great sense of purpose and delight. And God, I, I did the right thing. And I got to be part of making sure that, that nobody got hurt. And that included some of the kids as well. Israel was meant to be a nation filled with that kind of purpose. A nation that would send the message to the world that God is there, that he's a father, that he's the only true king, that he's on the throne, and that our daily lives matter to him, and that he's calling and leading us as his sons and daughters, showing him the honor and respect that ennobles and builds us up. But in Malachi's day, Israel's lackadaisical attitude kept them from seeing it and kept them from feeling it. 
So let me ask again, does, does God get the best of your life or the leftovers? Is your faith a priority or a footnote? When Israel failed to honor and thank God, they fell into a habit of heart and mind that was awful for them. And Malachi describes that as well in chapter 3. Listen to what he says. He says to Israel, you have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. And yet you ask, the Israelites ask, what have we said against you? God says, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. If you find yourself falling into the habit of thinking that all the nonsense and all the misguided values that are trumpeted in our sick and diseased culture are the right ones, then you've fallen into the same trap Israel's fallen into. We call the arrogant blessed. Boy, in our day and age, that's true. The more attention someone can get, the more we call them blessed. God says it's all a sham. He understands what's going on inside the hearts of the Israelites, and it's not good. It's not true either, but we lose touch with who God is and therefore who we are when we abandon our habits of reverence. When we give God our leftovers, when we make him second or third or fourth priority in our lives, when we do that, we cheat ourselves. We lose our sense of who we are in him. And that's what Malachi is calling Israel on the carpet for. The late U.S. Senator and war hero John McCain tells of his time in prison camp in Hanoi in Vietnam. And he talks about the day that one of the guards walked across the courtyard up to him during that hour that they were allowed to be outside. And the guard stood next to him for a moment without making eye contact. And then the guard stretched out his sandaled foot and made in the dirt between them the sign of the cross. And then he stood there for a moment and walked away. John McCain writes, In that moment, I understood who he was. And it reminded me of who I am. And it made all the difference. After that, every time I went into the courtyard, I would see that guard. And he would see me. And we would remember who we are. And it gave me the strength to overcome. Habits of reverence remind us of who we are. And Christian habits of reverence also remind us that, that we are a we and not just a bunch of me's. And so Malachi says in chapter 2, verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Then why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Why do we profane our identity as sons of a father God, as daughters of a father God, by abandoning and breaking faith with one another. You know, one of the, one of the things that tells me that a person has uh, is give, been giving God their second best is when they lose their desire to be part of the body of Christ. It happens. It happens. And it happens because we lose our sense of who we are and it causes us to lose our sense of who our neighbor is. Jesus tells us we are transformed into his body when we become Christians. We become the family of God. And family is forever. Malachi will go on in chapter 2 to, to talk about the symptoms of that. And one of those symptoms is divorce. Breaking faith with one another. God says it's rampant among you because you've lost your habits of reverence. You know, God's word in all its vastness only has a few things to say about marriage. Do you know why that is? It's because our habits of honoring God are the greatest secret to great marriage. When we put God first in our own lives, that's the first step to building a great marriage. When we reverence and respect Him and give Him our best, out of that flows the ability to have marriages that thrive. When Malachi talks about breaking faith with one another, he's talking about what happens to us when our habits of reverence slide away. Thanksgiving and honor practiced as a discipline creates intimacy with God, and that enables everything else. Let me help you see this story through a moment from Jesus' life over in Luke chapter 17. You can turn there if you'd like to. Luke chapter 17, the scripture tells us this. 
Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him there. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now if you're, you're knowledgeable about the scriptures, you'll recognize this, the significance of where this happened. The border between Samaria and Galilee was a rough place was a place where, uh, you know, sort of the undesirables of society would collect. It was a place where people who, who considered themselves to be far from God would tend to congregate. Jesus is walking through that region of Israel like many would not in his day because it doesn't matter where you are, he's seeking you. And he was seeking in this season. And he encounters some lepers. Lepers are living in a place like this because of their leprosy. It made them outcasts in society. It was thought of as a sign of God's displeasure, of God's rejection. And our world is full of people who feel rejected and fear rejection by God. If you're one of those people, Jesus seeks you. That's part of this story. But when he saw them, the Bible says, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went... They were cleansed. Whenever anyone starts to obey Jesus, they begin to experience God. These guys did. They were cleansed as they went to the temple. And when you allow God to call you to himself, the first thing he's going to do is send you into the body of believers. He's going to invite you to become part of the community of Christ. And as you obey that call, the healing that you seek comes. But that's not really the main point of this story. That comes in verses 15 to 19. The scripture says one of them, one of the ten lepers who were cleansed, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, not even an Israelite, came from outside the tribe. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed, healed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise except this foreigner? Now, it's, it's a rhetorical question. Jesus knows the answer. But he's asking it, he's posing it as a way of calling attention to our tendency to take for granted everything that God gives us. Nine of these lepers did just that. In fact, when Jesus says that only one came back and he was a Samaritan, he's rebuking Israel for their indifference to God. Then he said to that man, to that one, then Jesus said to him, this is very important, he said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now there's a great distinction between the Greek in the word cleansed and the Greek in the word well. All ten were cleansed, only one was made well. Well has the sense of being made whole and complete, not just body, but also heart and mind, and most importantly of all, soul and spirit. Jesus says that this man, by choosing to come back and give thanks, by choosing to show that reverence that the other nine did not, experienced a greater healing, one that went far deeper than the other nine experienced. And Malachi is talking to Israel about that very same thing. You see, church, gratitude to God for his gifts and blessings isn't just a nice thing to do, like sending a Hallmark card on somebody's birthday. It is life to your soul. And when we give thanks, a part of us comes alive that wasn't alive before. When we honor God, a part of us comes to life that wasn't there before. We are made to honor our Creator. This is true for our earthly relationships, but it's even more true between us and God. When we honor Him, when we respect Him, when we give Him our best, when we offer our thanks, there's a dynamic in us that is incredibly potent. Listen to what the Bible says about the power of giving thanks to God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, a familiar passage but often misunderstood. The Bible says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And we often hear it this way, pray and God will give you peace. That's not what it says. It says, pray with thanksgiving. 
and God will give you a supernatural peace. Go into prayer reciting your blessings, honoring God for them, showing your gratitude to him, acknowledging them, respecting him, giving him the very best of who you are, and then a supernatural peace will guard your heart and mind. The ancient Hebrews practiced something called the 18 benedictions. Blessed are you, God, they prayed 18 times a day at morning, noon, and bedtime. Why? To remember all they had to be thankful for because they knew it brought peace. We say to ourselves, well, gosh, if I have to thank God 18 times a day, it's just going to eat up my day. No, it won't. Instead, it transforms your day. After 10 years of infertility, Rhonda and I eventually got to be parents. How can we ever be thankful enough for that? Spend the rest of our lives thinking. Every time we sing that song, God, you have been faithful. I remember those 10 years. And I think, wow, God, you have been faithful. You see, church, thanksgiving that isn't given destroys the soul. It diminishes our sense of being God's children. The Bible teaches us that thanksgiving makes your brain work. Romans chapter 1 says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise and instead became fools. Why? Because they didn't thank God, because they didn't glorify God. You know, all of us walk away from worship on a Sunday and go, oh, that was good. I'm glad I did that. I'm better because of that. Yeah, but it even has specifics. You think more clearly right after you walk away from worship. You think more clearly. You also feel more clearly. Thanksgiving makes your heart work. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He said, the worst moment for the unbelievers is when he really wants to be thankful for something and has nobody to thank. Everything looks better when it's understood to be a personal gift. And it is the highest and holiest of paradoxes that the man who knows that he cannot repay his debt from God is happiest to throw everything he has into the bottomless pit of joyful thanksgiving. Yeah, your soul thrives on thanksgiving. So as we turn the corner to the home stretch here, let's listen to Malachi again in chapter 3, verses 7 and following. God through Malachi says this, and this is where we finish this morning. He says, return to me, and I will return to you. Put me back in first place in your life, and you will experience me again more deeply. The lepers were cleansed as they obeyed. In the same way, God says, return to me and I'll return to you. But the people asked, how are we to return? God says, well, here's one way. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And the people said, well, how do we rob you? Once again, Israel's oblivious to their own neglect. God says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room for it. In other words, hey, put me first in your financial life and that will seep out into the rest of your life. You know, it's a great irony that those of us who have learned to give to God regularly in a disciplined way are the ones who are happiest about it. <laughs> The only people complaining about it are the ones who don't want to. Those of us who've discovered this reality just live in it for the rest of our lives. Remember when Ron and I were new believers, we didn't think Christian faith had anything to do with money until one day we went to church, the pastor talked about what the Bible says, we said, wow, we didn't know that, and we started this new discipline of honoring God with our money. All these years later, we would never, ever, ever turn back because of the rich and deep blessing, mainly of relationship but also materially that flows out of it. Jesus put it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Boy, that's pretty simple. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. You're going to have to choose. Everybody has to choose. Everybody gets to choose, but everybody has to choose. And when you choose to put God in charge of your money, then you experience him as father. Dear friends, God knows that we need intimacy with him and identity in him, and that comes from honoring him in every part of our life. So Malachi finishes in chapter 4, verse 2 by saying this, but for you who revere my name, for you who choose to honor God, for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. 
That's God's promise to everyone who chooses to honor and respect him. That is what you will feel if you choose to honor and respect God, to give him your best all the time, to put him first in your life. You will go out and leap like calves, released from the stall. Let me finish with a story. A Texas dad tells the story of a summer vacation with his large family. And when they hit the road again after a stop at a gas station just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, the trip got really interesting. You see, in all the hustle and bustle of kids going to the bathroom and the store and everywhere else, nobody in the family noticed that Dad hadn't got back inside the car after filling the tank and paying. Everybody assumed that Dad was sleeping in the back seat among the luggage, and so they just drove off. He says, I tried to reach them between my kids and my wife. There's six cell phones in the car, but nobody answered. <laughs> he says, I was stuck there for the better part of an hour. Eventually, I was able to talk somebody else in the parking lot into letting me use their laptop, and I got through to one of the kids on Facebook. By then, they were almost 100 miles away. They had to turn around and come back and get me. He said, they did come back and get me. He said, they felt bad. I guess that's good. <laughs> that's what Malachi was saying to Israel. He said, hey, you forgot me, and it's killing you. You forgot me, and it's eating you from the inside out. You, you stopped putting me first, and as a consequence... Not only have you lost touch with the fact that I'm not here, but you've lost the blessing of knowing who you are. And maybe, maybe this morning, you need to say, gosh, God, I, 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 I completely lost touch with the fact that I've ceased to honor you. I've ceased to give you my best. I've ceased to put you first. God says, when you return, when you return, you'll rediscover that joy. I'll meet you in it. You won't just be cleansed, you'll be well. And that's his desire for me and his desire for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes for a moment. And maybe as you're sitting here this morning, you would say, you know what, God, I've kind of moved you to the margins. I put you second or third behind my hobbies, my plans, behind other things. Maybe this morning you need to say, God, I completely lost touch with my habits of reverence, with honoring you. If that's you this morning, offer your repentance. It's the first kind of honor that will restore you. Say, God, I, I want to get you back to the center. I want to restore you to the place where you belong in my life, that I might remember who I am in you. He can hear you right here and right now. So share your heart with him. Maybe as you sit here this morning, you're, you're like those ten lepers. You don't know God as your Savior. You don't know him as your Father. Jesus said, whoever believes in me becomes a child of God. You can receive him as your Savior in this moment and be adopted into God's family, him as your Father in this moment. All you have to do is open your heart. And say to the God who hears your heart, I receive Jesus as my Savior. You can do that right here and right now. He'll meet you in it. You'll be different. You'll be born again if you open your heart. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for sending Malachi to Israel, for sending Malachi to us here this morning as we go from here into this wonderful summer day. Lord, let it be with an awareness that our honor for you is the foundation of our joy. We pray for that, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Mm. Now, back in December and January, we were whining and complaining for a day like this. <laughs> so let's enjoy it. Amen. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Stay cool. <laughs>